Hello and welcome to Improper Thinking. I am Jerome and as always uh, we are coming to you from the Bay Area. I've, uh, I've been watching a lot of sport recently. Um, the Golden State Warriors, which is a Bay Area team, is in the playoffs at the moment and um, they're kind of the team to beat. And it got me thinking about some thoughts that I've had uh, a little while ago. And it, it all revolves around, you know, human beings and why do we separate ourselves all the time in different scenarios. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean, but if you look at things, you know, human beings separate themselves via race, via place, via tribe, via sports teams, via family. And, you know, when we're in school, we, we separate ourselves via friends or cliques or groups. We're always finding different ways of, of, of separating ourselves. We're always looking at ways of defining a, a side that we're taking. It's old versus young, man versus woman, black versus white. You know, that's one of the more heinous ones, but it, it's still something that that really just gets gets us into a position of it's us against you you know californians against the rest of the states um it, there's a there's a thing where you can have pride of your country and you can have pride of the person who you are but there's the separating element that we have and one of the Things or one of the thoughts that or roads that I went down is to is to find out why. Why do we do this, and what is it, or how can we eventually change a few things so that we can create a catalyst of what brings us together. And my reasoning for this thinking, by the way, is I witnessed a a very definitive thing happen in the nineties when. President Nelson Mandela, who was probably one of the great men to, to walk this earth, came out of prison. And he had a country that was divided by race. He had a country that really had some big issues. Obviously, they were kind of the last big sort of country to come into the fray of democracy. Think about it, right? In the 90s. It took them, you know, all the way till the 1990s to start breaking this white supremacist view that they had, which is very, very recent. And so here's a man who comes out who has to figure out how does he galvanize a country? How does he avoid a civil war? How does he give people, how does he empower the white people enough? so that they don't cut and run and take all the money out of the country or fight? And how does he empower the African, Indian and colored population to not fight for things that they've been deprived of all their life? And so here he is in power and the weight on his shoulders 
is the deaths of probably hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people. And being the extraordinarily smart man that he is, and I don't know his exact thought process in this, but it's certainly something that I have thought about a lot and, and taken a lot from, is that he he went to a sports team. And in South Africa, as history shows us, sports was one of the dividing factors. So if you were a non-white player, you could play sport up until a certain representation so it meant you could get your colors for your provincial team. And then anything higher than that, which would elevate you to a national and then international status, was reserved for white people. And so you would essentially, as a person of color, you could not move past a certain stage. Even if you were the best in the world, you could be a world champion, you could be somebody that dominates in your sport, but you would not be able to represent South Africa. So, so imagine, you know, that in another country, imagine that in the US here, where every minority in the country could not represent the US nationally or, or the world over. And so at that level, all you would see is white athletes. One, you'd be leaving a lot of talent on the table. In fact, the majority of the talent on the table because the way it goes is that uh, the less you have the more sports becomes your outlet because it it closes down your options and so you strive harder you play harder you work harder and that's not in all cases but in in generalized terms we can say that you know if this is your only outlet to make a successful go at life then you're going to put everything on the line. The injustice of, of having this was, was one thing. And, you know, Nelson Mandela turned to a sport in particular that I think shocked everybody. The most racist sport in South Africa was rugby. It was a game that was really not played anywhere else but in white schools, privileged schools. It was the epitome of white privilege in South Africa. The Springboks, which were the national team, was all white. Their representation was, was incredibly, uh, you know, all the talent was drafted out of white schools. And wearing the Springbok green jersey, there was a particular green that they used, was kind of like saying, this is the, the shirt that stands over you. This is one of our representations that makes you a lesser person if you're not wearing it. And so if you were a person of color, you came to hate the team, you came to hate the shirt and what it represented. Because at every game, you would just see white uh, people in the crowds and they would be wearing these jerseys and they would be waving the old South African flag. And it was really just something that was celebrated by the uh, predominantly Dutch community that, you know, it's a Dutch and English in South Africa. So when we look at that, South Africa's minorities uh, played predominantly soccer. Soccer is a world game. You know, the, the name of the, uh, 
South African team was Bafana Bafana. And predominantly in all of the communities, it was soccer. Because with soccer, all you needed was a ball. You didn't even need grass. It was clay, dirt, doesn't matter. You have a ball, you put two things, uh, you know, two shoes on one end, two shoes on the other end for goals. And, you know, maybe draw the sidelines with a, a stick into the dirt. And all of a sudden you had a field. It included, you know, 11 players on each side. And so it was something that just naturally people loved uh, from, from all the minority communities, whether you were Indian, colored, or African. And, you know, cricket, I guess, was something that the Indian population there sort of played a lot because of how well India did. And, and here's what, what actually happened. Because you didn't have any black players representing South Africa's national teams, people that were minority that lived in South Africa supported other teams. So, for instance, if you were Indian and you were living in South Africa, you wouldn't support the national team. You would support India or New Zealand or Australia. Pretty much anybody that's playing the uh, South African team. If you were, you know, supporting a rugby team, it was anybody, you had a favorite team and it was everybody else playing the Springboks. That's how it went. And if you think about national pride and you think about us as human beings separating ourselves via place, that wasn't the case for minorities in South Africa because they were so disenfranchised, so disempowered that they could not be a part of of that national pride. They couldn't be a part of that place and separate themselves that way. It was just made too hard for them. So when when Nelson Mandela uh, decided to choose the Rugby World Cup and the Springboks as the champion for him and his administration and his first into power, everybody was like, what's going on here? Now, due to the respect of a man that spent more than 20 years in prison to fight for the freedoms of his people and all minorities in South Africa... Enough respect was given to him for us to wait and see what he had planned. Because on the surface, it didn't make sense to anybody. It didn't really look like anything that, that we could do or, or see or, you know, uh, why, would he, why would he side with the white people when he could go to the soccer World Cup or, or look for a championship that could galvanize the minority community and empower them. And so enough respect was given to that man and and earned by that man, where everybody was kind of quizzical about it and kind of, you know, a little bit baffled by it, but willing to see where he would go with it. And in the movie uh, Invictus, which I think Matt Damon plays uh, Francois Botha, who who was the captain back then. And it shows a scene where Nelson Mandela invites him over. And he says to him, this nation needs you to win. 
Uh, it wasn't that exactly, but this is the uh, this is the high level of, of what was said. He said, "You have to win in order to save South Africa." And I think Francois would have been <laughs> would have been in shock. One, two knowing that he had to go through Australia and New Zealand and England and France and and to win these World Cups. And, and the World Cup comes around every four years. And up until recently, no team has won it back-to-back, ever. And, and there's, there weren't many teams with more than two championships since it started. So it's an extremely rare and hard thing to win. And... Because it's a it's an elimination, it's an instant elimination. Where you know once you get past the rounds uh, or the groups and you get into the playoffs, it's an instant elimination. So you can have one bad game and be out. So it is who is playing the best on that day, who has not sustained enough injury to, to some of their key players, and who makes that special play on the day. So it is like rolling the wheel in roulette to who wins the World Cup. And he's asking this man to win in order to save the nation. And I started to think about that and started to think about these things that separate us. That naturally, we want to somehow take a side. Why is this? Why do we want to take a side? Whether it's in a boardroom, whether it's in... I mean, technology, you're either Apple or Samsung, right? And if you're on one or the other, you're ridiculing the other side. You know, Apple people see a Samsung and they go, geez, must be hard using that. Somebody with a Samsung goes, oh, you're Apple's lapdog. Just controlled by Apple. Can't install any, any other apps on it. They lock you out of everything. And you've basically got the phone of the man. And the man has control. So... We take sides all the time in arguments. You know, we try and recruit on our side. And I think this goes back to our very basic instincts of survival. The reason why human beings are who they are, and the reason why they're the number one predator on the, on the planet, and the reason why our survival against all other creatures is so absolute that it defies nature is because we're based on competition. We feel a competitive need that is built into our very, very string of beating whoever is threatening our space. So it doesn't matter what the space is. Let's say the space is, you know, what phone I have, what team I have, what place I live in, what sex I am, what race I am. There is a embedded code that makes us definitively and, and, and I think just cerebral almost, where we, we just have to be competitive. And it's that competitive nature that pits us against nature, that pits us against anything that might harm us. And so I actually believe that it's the stuff that 
allows us to elevate over anything that's a threat to humanity. I also think it's something that speeds up our evolution. Our competitiveness and the ability for us to have to win, uh, which in turn is our survival mechanism, allows us to evolve at a faster rate. And what takes me to this thought in particular is an example that I use when World War II was on. Um, there were, an, it was an arms race. It was a nuclear um, sort of age. Uh, scientists were trying to develop and make uh, chemical warfare, nuclear warfare, the atomic bomb. And when that happened, and when the world was at its its most dire need, that's when we produce perhaps our greatest minds. Think about the time uh, in that period where we had the Curies and we had Clark Maxwell and we had uh, Nikolai Tesla and we had Albert Einstein and we had all of these great minds that pushed science to such a level that I think it saved Mankind, because at that point, I think everybody on the planet believed that this could be doomsday for the earth. This could be where the entire earth is exposed and, and human beings will kill each other to a point where there's no coming back from it. And so our evolutionary DNA kicks in. And all of a sudden, we create these brilliant minds that change the course of history and change the course of science and, and, and have produced things that have not been matched since. I think like animals out in the wild or insects, we evolve at a time when we need to, when we feel threatened. And so this competitive instinct or, or DNA that we have that eventually translates into our survival is really what pushes us to be the masters of our domain. This, this might be the reason why we have separatism and why we might have um, things like sexism and racism and even sport, sportism, you know, um, not that that's a word, but you know what I mean, where you your sport team is the, is the greatest. So just finishing up back to my Nelson Mandela story, somehow, and in some way, that great man figured out that by galvanizing with a team that was, let's say, in power or, or, or people that were in power. So remember, the white population when Nelson Mandela came into power was still in power places, power positions. They were the CEOs, they were the government, they were in all of the power positions in the country. And yes, there was a transition coming, but they still held the balance of power in their roles that they had maintained since they had taken over the country. So what he did is instead of creating or going with soccer, which would have alienated them even more and probably caused the civil war. He said, look, we're all with you. We're all with your sports team. And when you look at sport, 
right? It is it is the ultimate competitive uh, environment. It is set up to get into our basic principles as human beings. It is essentially the core of who we are. And that's why it speaks to us so much. That's why competition really, really gets human beings going is because it is, it is a part of our, our base principle. So what he said to them is, we are with you in your sports team. We are going to make sure that everybody around the world knows that we are with you. And by doing that, he completely melted away the wall that was there. And the highest wall was on the white side because they had more to lose. On the minority side, they had nothing to lose. <laughs> they, it was easy for them, right? And there's something that uh, a sports commentator, Max Kellerman, said recently. He said, if, if we're going to normalize something, let's go to the highest standard. Let's go to the best standard. Let's not normalize it down. Let's normalize it up. And that's what Nelson Mandela did. He normalized it up. Instead of going back to basics and back to a disenfranchised and disempowered people, he went to the empowered people and said, these folk are coming with you. These minorities here are now in your realm. We're going to elevate them up to your status. And we're all going to be up here together. Instead of trying to drag you down. And it was genius. It was pure and utter genius. Because not only did he tell the white South Africans that they are going to stay at that level. But he also told them that they are now going to be supported by the entire country. And so what they did, or who they are as people, are justified. And for the minorities, what he said to them is that I think you're good enough to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the white people of this country. I think you deserve what they have. And they are willing to accept you. And all of a sudden, the country moved forward 20 years. All of a sudden, they all cheered a Springbok team. And for his part, Francis and the Springbok team played their part and did something that nobody thought that was possible, and they won the World Cup. And in that one moment, an entire country was completely welded together in a principle that removed separation and removed this divide that was ingrained. That was so solidified in in that society that it was palpable you could feel it everywhere you could feel the tension everywhere and all of a sudden it wasn't there people were dancing in the streets together they were high-fiving the white south africans accepted the minorities as their brothers in arms and against the world and all of a sudden south africa was whole and we avoided a civil war the only downside to all of that is that Nelson Mandela didn't have enough time to complete his life's work. Because if he had lived and was able, uh, you know, and health-wise, and, and wasn't so frail and old, South Africa would be a superpower. He was that good. 
at getting people on the same page. And perhaps his genius will never quite be seen by people. So I'm hoping that this does something to to elevate that a little bit. But what we saw there is that it doesn't matter what the divide is, what the competition is, how you feel right now. And that racism in South Africa, that could hardly be touched. That was, it was real and it was big and I haven't seen anything. I mean, you see racist situations all the time and racism, but nothing like in South Africa where it was just open and people would spit in front of you and there wasn't any hiding of the of being racist or a one-off event. It was a constant, constant dark cloud over the country. And in an instant, it wasn't. There was sunshine and there was hope. And since then, they've regressed because they haven't had the genius of Nelson Mandela leading them forward. But when we look at this question of human beings and why we need separation and why we need competition and why we need to take a side and a, and a stand for whatever it is, it's based on how we survived. It's based on how, how we win. It's based on how we evolve. And so we're fighting against that all the time. We're fighting against it to not be sexist. We're fighting against it to not be racist. We're fighting against it to not be nationalists in a way that excludes other people. And we've seen examples of that uh, all over the world and, and even now in the U.S. But there is galvanizing. There is a place where everybody can be on the same page. And we've got to look at things that really cater to that part of our, our need. Think about it this way. Our need and, our, and the thing that cries out most about us is to be competitive and is to take a side and, and it, it forms our very principle of or what makes us great. We need to create a competition and sport is a competition, but it really needs to be something that is big enough and that people care enough about in order for it to galvanize a, a country together. And I guess until aliens come around and, and play a game of, uh, of basketball like Space Jam, um, you know, we're not going to galvanize as a world as easy using sport. But, you know, we better beat those Martians. But in... In terms of, of countries coming together, you know, you can see it in the basketball, all the Bay Area fans, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, whether you're an, a non-documented immigrant, whether you're somebody that's come here for the tech industry, whether you're a, you know, Texas native that has now moved to the Bay Area and adopted the Warriors, whether you're a Bay Area native um, of Chinese descent or of uh, European descent, they're all dancing together after the game outside their arena, all high-fiving, all partying together. There is no separation. And so when we look at what brings us together, it's when we can be together on a, on a, on a competitive level with everybody on the same page 
on the same team. And when we look at the, the flip side of the coin, we need to fight sometimes that separation that we, we, we want to create. And it's not easy because it is, as I said, it is part of us, whether it's the wealthy against the, the not wealthy, whether it's white against black, we've got to do a better job of looking past that. We've got to do a better job of, of not allowing that to create instances that could cause hurt and war and a dehumanizing situation. So my final thought from this podcast is that one, I hope in, in some way that I've highlighted what we need as human beings and, and where we come from and why we come from that competitive to survival uh, nature. And two, how it can be galvanized through getting together on the same page about something. And, and the third point is always, always default to the highest position. Take the people that are disenfranchised to the people that are in a power position or who have more available to them, who are privileged more so that they maintain the privilege while the rest will also benefit from that privilege. Because as soon as you start taking things away and you leave people, you know, where they're disenfranchised, that's kind of where it breaks down most of the time. And that's what was done, by the way, in the past. Everybody tried to come back to to the, the majority or the, or the minority or the disenfranchised. Where Nelson Mandela did it differently is he took everybody to the privileged land. And by doing that, he showed us a way forward for people and countries and everybody really to come together. And I think it's a lesson that needs to reverberate and needs to be known. And uh, I just want to thank you for listening. Uh, this was a an idea that I've been thinking about or or something that I've been thinking about for a long time now. And I'm glad to finally get it out on this on this cast. Join me next time. My name is Jerome and this is Improper Thinking.